Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Craig Edwards. We recorded this interview at Harry Smith Frolic at the tail end of a thunderstorm, which I maintain is one of my very favorite settings for recording this show. Craig is a musician who thinks about this music as much as he plays it, which, if this isn't your first Get Up in the Cool episode, you know I really appreciate. Uh, He tells some great stories about hanging out with Ernie Carpenter and Clyde Davenport and watching the Birchfields play, all while emanating this energy of gratitude and respect, which I found pretty contagious. I really do love listening to folks just rattle off names on Get Up in the Cool. That's basically half the show. But Craig is an especially good storyteller, and he earns it in a way that I would say is unique in the old-time community. How is that? Was that all right? I'm trying to compliment him without throwing everyone else under the bus. Stick around after the interview if you want to hear more of Craig's music and maybe support Get Up in the Cool and get access to exclusive bonus content. Here's my jam and chat with Craig Edwards. Enjoy. Yeah, you too, Craig. Uh, Craig Edwards? Craig Edwards. Welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, So we're at Harry Smith Frolic 2017 uh, in a thunderstorm. Uh, And uh, it hasn't gotten too bad yet. Hopefully we'll be able to finish this episode. (laughs) We'll see. Uh, So where's that? What's that tune? Where's it from? That's a tune from Ernie Carpenter, uh, West Virginia fiddler who I met when he was in his early 80s. It was, a, I don't know, a year or two after Jerry Milnes from Augusta had, had first run into him and, and started uh, recording him. And uh, I went down and took Jerry's class at Augusta. Actually, I went down a year before I took Jerry's class because uh, 
my friend Amy Davis was uh, had, had gone there, and she was she was uh, I think she was working there for Flawn Williams doing sound um, that summer, and, and that that was when I first met Ernie, and I was still in college. I was I was um, getting ready for my senior year, and uh, Ernie just just he killed me. He was so amazing, and uh, so I went. I, I wrote my thesis on three three fiddlers from West Virginia, plus a harmonica player named Harry Gordon, but uh, Ernie Carpenter, Melvin Wine, and, and Woody Simmons. Right on. And uh, so I, I spent that winter. I'd go visit Ernie and, and uh, you know record him, and and he'd record me. He always had a tape recorder out when when I went to visit him. Yeah. And I guess. That seemed like the thing to do. Everybody came and brought right. a tape recorder, so he brought a tape recorder. Yeah. But uh, he had that that tune. He had a lot of uh, tunes that were family tunes, you know. And uh, and that one, the story he told with it was that his great great grandfather, I think Jeremiah Carpenter, had uh, come come back from hunting. They were like the first family of non-native people that settled in that area. Yeah. And. Uh, He'd come back, and his brother's cabin had been attacked, and and uh, so he and his pregnant wife fled up a creek, and uh, like that night she had a baby under this big limestone shelf that jut- jutted out. So um, later, a carpenter wrote a tune about it and called it Shelving Rock. That's, right on. That's the story. Yeah. Yeah. Adds a lot of depth to the an already obviously deep tune yeah. melodically, but like it's a good story. Yeah. For it. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I saw that video of uh, what's his the guitarist uh, Michael Klein. Michael Klein and Ernie uh, Carpenter. He was like introducing it, and he's like trying to get Ernie Carpenter to like tell this story just right. But I, how old was Ernie in that video? Like, he, uh, he was he was uh, getting on eighty. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun to watch because he's like, get to the good part. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Really cool. Was uh, Ernie? Uh, was he in, like a nice guy? Was he like a good teacher? He was he was great. Yeah. Um, in that regard, he was he he was he was a, a real gentleman. You know, he, right on. He, he 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 liked to set everybody at ease around him. That you know, and that was how he would define that word. And he was a uh, that's he, a good definition. Yeah, and that's he was a really sort of good definition. Yeah, and he was sort of a sage too. Like he thought really deeply about music and and what it meant to him and and you know. What it, how it figured into people's lives, and would he like wax philosophically about? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. yeah they, you know, on one of his recordings, there's a, you can hear him talking about. I, I'm not going to try and paraphrase or say it like he did, but he just talks about how music is something that once you have it, it's it's yours. You know, and nobody can take it from you. Yeah. And and uh, it, you know, it, and you and you get it from this long line of right. of, of people. You know. Yeah. So he was he was great to to visit and hang out with. Um, I've heard that's like not always the case. Like sometimes, like you know, these sources yeah. you have to like put up with a little bit of. Uh, I heard Benton Flippin was a jerk recently. <laughs> I recently heard that he was a real jerk and like not very encouraging to younger folks. And never yeah, gave think, out his secrets. Yeah, I mean, my impression of Benton Flippin was that he was he was basically just a little shy. Interesting, you know, right? And, and that can come across as being a jerk. But I didn't have a lot of interactions with him. Clyde Davenport is another one that people will say was 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 a uh, you know could be could uh-huh. be kind of rough. But the first time I met Clyde Davenport. Um, there, there used to be at uh, the Clearwater Festival in, in in New York, the one that Pete Seeger ran. Yeah. For a few years, Ray Alden ran a, a old time stage there, which they eventually it was kind of funny. They eventually shut that stage down because he'd have a, a fiddle contest and a band contest, and the the organizers of the main festival were like, "Oh, no contests. That's we're we're not hierarchical here." Yeah, yeah. And he was like, "But this uh, it's part of what we it's do." And the tradition, and, and yeah. they they just wouldn't listen and they shut it down. Interesting. But uh I I played in the in the fiddle contest part and Clyde was one of the featured performers there that year. And and uh I was coming off the stage and he walks up to me and says, "You're holding your bow wrong." <laughs> And I was like, "Oh my God!" And then he says, "Come here." And he took—he spent like 20 minutes showing me how he held his bow and 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 why, and watching me until I had what he was trying to show me, you know. And so, so you know, he was gruff, but but uh, 
I, I really that really meant a lot to me yeah. actually because yeah, it, totally. it, it you know even though I thought I was holding the ball wrong he apparently saw something that he thought was worth yeah. you know spending a little time with and I was really grateful for that yeah you know yeah if uh, I feel like the if the if the undercurrent is generosity I'll put up w- with a lot from absolutely from from people who like are tradition bearers you know yeah like because they've like earned it you know it's like if you're willing to share it I'll take it even if you uh, aren't you know necessarily graceful about right. the way that you right. share it yeah so I hope I hope I hope most people have that attitude when they're <laughs> yeah yeah trying to learn traditional music but yeah yeah it's yeah and, you know I grew up I grew up in North Carolina and Virginia so so I was kind of that was my you know conversant with that cultural style of yes. of of respect and and yeah. you know and and courtesy and and that you know that that's always gone a long way for me you know especially approaching older people and, and you know not not going in and being hey give me something you yeah. know yeah yeah it's interesting i was recently talking to my wife about um sometimes like especially like uh men in my like grandparents generation don't necessarily know how to uh uh how to listen well or how to be graceful communicators and sometimes they like uh can be very lecturing or mansplaining is the current vernacular for this you know and it's like uh i've been realizing that like part of uh my journey as like being an old-time musician has been to like um try to be aware of that in myself as I push the tradition forward mm-hmm. and try to make it open so that when so that when I uh, am teaching young folks and when I'm old I'm not it's not just old men like me you know pushing the tradition forward you know what I mean sure but also at the same time in order to do that I have to like receive uh, this wisdom and tradition from mostly these old white men some of whom are graceful in the way that they communicate and some who aren't right. you know and so it's like it's this simultaneously like trying to uh, you know reach back and like be respecting to my elders while trying to be a better elder maybe sure. than they were Absolutely. you know like and it's, it's an interesting like journey like for like yeah because I because I wish that like uh I wish that the tradition bearers, like, were more diverse, but they were just like right. working with what they had, and so it's sort of up to me to like encourage diversity in like my like community of like tradition bearers. I don't know. That's like a way zoomed out like look at it. You sure. Know? So it's like and and you know when you know with that with that generation of of people, you know, there was you, I would certainly encounter occasional you know racism or uh-huh. or other kinds of of you know things that were difficult for me yeah but uh, you know at that point in my life i was pretty young and and so i I didn't push right on it and and you know i'm not sure how i would deal deal with it now yeah you know it's a different we've we we've seemed to have come come somewhere different even though you know there's a backlash (laughs) yeah going on um but there's there's certainly a lot more awareness of of how to you know think deeply about it that that really wasn't there when I was when I was young. In a lot of ways, people were just starting to develop that that kind of consciousness in in the broader culture. I mean, not like there weren't woke people right. back in the day, but but um, not everybody could be you know W. E. B. Du Bois or Malcolm X right, or right. what have you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy the tension of like I feel like that's like what old time is for. Right. Is is for like engaging with that. It's like okay, in order to get this good stuff, you have to, like, uh, you have to sort of humble yourself and, like, engage with people. To get the really good stuff, you have to get uncomfortable. Sure. And I feel like that, like, that attitude is, like, that you need to in order uh, to have in order to, like, really learn old-time music. Um, especially incarnate old-time music, not just from recordings, but from people, is the same, at- is, like, I wish the attitude that yeah. everyone had in like all aspects of their life, you know, yeah. um, there's a sort of, there's a nature of like, uh, 
going home for Thanksgiving and being with your family and trying to find the good stuff there. Not my family. My family's awesome. <laughs> I, 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 I very seldom roll my eyes in my family. But, like, you know, that's a, the trope of, like, sure. how do I continue to connect with these people and pass their values forward while right. also sort of curating what I pass forward? And that was, you know, that was my family. I, you know, I, I learned that, that kind of lesson and, and brought it with me when I was doing that. Um, I have an uncle who passed away a few years ago who was very conservative, yes. you know, Rush Limbaugh-esque. Yeah. But he was also like, you know, personally, he was like a really kind, generous guy. And, and that was a good lesson for me. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's my uncle. He's difficult. You know, if you get him on politics, you can't turn him off. Yep. But on the other hand, he's like... A real sweetheart, you know, yeah. in, in in various ways, and, and people are complicated, you know, and, yeah. and and you gotta. And then the you know the music is is. It does, be, and that word incarnate is is a really good. It's my religious term. upbringing. <laughs> well, it's all right because yeah. uh, you know it. That one of my favorite quotes that I, I I think about when I think about how traditional music functions comes from a book by an author named Ishmael Reed called Mumbo Jumbo and uh, the it's it, a lot of it is about um, voodoo and, and uh, at one point there's a voodoo priest trying to explain to another character how how kind of the the cosmology of, of voodoo works and and you know there's this undifferentiated divine yeah that that only takes on a face when someone is possessed hmm. and that so that and 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 that's that spirit becoming imminent or incarnate is called a loa and sometimes when when, when someone's possessed in a ceremony there it, it's a familiar loa that that people know and sometimes it's a new one yeah and and so this priest is explaining and the exact quote is when a new loa is formed it must be fed the same way that you feed your jazz and blues by supporting the artists who were possessed by those forms. Yes. Right. And, you know, so you know, the, your tradition bearer, but, you, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, for me, that's, that's exactly how it works. It's like the music only is actually there when someone's playing it. Yes. Right. You know, a recording is a great tool. Yes. But it's not, it's not music in that profound sense you know it's it's a record of music yeah and and uh you know so that that kind of personal connection with the the you know that sort of tradition that's there that you're making come you know making incarnate when you play it yeah it's like you're taking it into your body and it's it's possessing you and and uh it's just a you know that's that's kind of how i think about it I always like to say that uh, I, I think I I learn music better and, and sort of more holistically, you know, when I can smell the person I'm learning the yeah. tune from. <laughs> right. Especially at festivals, you could really smell you people. Can, some people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's break up the, this wonderful conversation a little bit with some more tunes. Uh, you want to play the Snatches? Under, Natchez Under, under the, the Hill, hill. Yeah, yeah. This is the Joe Birchfield Natchez Under the Hill. First pass. Thank you. 
the sugar gonna roll the board about I'll never forget the first time I saw the Roan Mountain Hilltoppers with, with the, the original lineup with Joe and Creed Birchfield. They were at, at that, that same uh, old time stage at Clearwater that Ray Alden made. And uh, I'd never heard of them, you know, and they, they walked on stage and Joe at that point was using two crutches and, 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 uh, or two, two canes. So he came on with two canes and he was wearing his, you know, feed cap and his plaid shirt yeah. and <laughs> big, big red bow tie and, and overalls. And, and he walks on stage, and, and Joe was cross-eyed, and he had very few teeth, if any, at that point. And, uh, and Bill, his son Bill came out after him, and, uh, you know, carrying his fiddle. So Joe got in front of the microphone, and Bill took the canes and handed him the fiddle, and then he took the bow and rosined it until there was like a cloud of dust in the air. I mean, and, and, <laughs> hand, handed Joe, and, and meanwhile, Joe was kind of swaying a little back and forth, and 
you know, it looked like he might just fall over. And he was, he was, you know, the skinny old guy. Yeah. And, and Creed was, was his brother was uh, actually, I think, older, but didn't look as old as Joe. And, and he was down there tuning his, his, his banjo and, and, uh, and then Janice was playing wash tub bass, you know, Bill's wife. And Bill goes over and picks up his guitar and Bill, Bill played left-handed, but he played the guitar upside down with his, with his fretting hand over the top what? of the neck. <laughs> And yeah, and, and he played fiddle backwards too, and, and you know backwards and upside down later after after Joe died. Man. And and so I'm watching this, thinking, you know, man, uh, you know, these guys gonna like the wind is gonna blow these guys away. Right. And and Joe held the fiddle, you know, he, he kind of in the crook of his elbow down low, and and so he put the bow on there and, and started. And they launched into I think it was Brown's Dream, and it sounded like a freight train going down a down a mountain with no brakes it was just the most driving thing you ever heard yeah and and it just totally blew me away i was so sold they, they were like my favorite breakdown band yeah. ever you know they they just they had this cool beat partly because creed played this um th this picking style that put the 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 fifth string note kind of in the opposite place in the beat from where a claw hammer yeah. um, player puts the fifth string yeah. note. So it kind of had its own little little bounce to it. It was really cool. Interesting. And then and then when um, Bill played played guitar because he was upside down and backwards, when he hit the strum, it would hit the treble strings yeah. first. <laughs> and and that gives a it, it gives a like a brighter lift to the whole thing. Cool. It's you know the if you if you if you're just playing downstrokes all the time, regular, you always hear that kind of lower end, and and this kind of you know the the start of the strum has this ching to it, and it yeah. just gives this little lift. It's really cool. Wait, how does he do like a? Does he still do a boom chuck? Yeah. So we would go like. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine how this how this would so go. So basically, I, th I think I, he would play the bass note. And then he would strum down, right? But the bass right. note was on the bottom of the guitar. So he had to come all the way back up. So yeah, bass and then ching, right, with that strum. It was, yeah. I love that band's sound. That's awesome. And Janice <laughs> was such a killer washtub bass player. Oh, my God. <laughs> they were so much fun to watch, too, you know. Uh, shall we, um, well, you need to get to standard to play uh, Cousin Sally Brown. I think I'm going to stand G. These electronic tuners are awful handy for this kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I used to run a festival at, at, at Mystic Seaport, and I hired Liam Clancy one year, and uh, he was he was a character. When he came off stage, he had his, after his big set, he had his uh, tuner in his hand, and he walked up to me and put it right in my face and says, Craig... More folk bands in the 60s broke up because they didn't have these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember those arguments. You know, you're not in tune. You're not in tune. <laughs> so, Cousin Sally Brown from Marcus Martin. My, my dad, uh, it was from Asheville. The high school there was named for my grandfather. Um, the, it's, not, it, it's now called Asheville High, but for years it was Lee Edwards High School. He was the principal during the Depression. Mm. And uh, one of my kind of family things that I'm proudest of is that when he, uh, when the Depression kicked in, he, he vowed he would not fire or lay off any teachers. Yeah. And he found, he, he'd like put people down to part-time sometimes and he would find them other work, you know, because he couldn't pay them as much. But he, he actually, uh, throughout the whole time he was principal, he, he, he didn't lay off wow. anybody um, from that school. And he helped design it too. It's a cool kind of uh, sort of, I guess, Art Deco sort of design. It's, uh, yeah. But um, that just gave, gives me a special affection for Marcus Martin's music because he was from that region. Right on. Yeah.
that tunes a lot. <laughs> There's a little trip, yeah. <laughs> a little, little, uh, little day hike. <laughs> I think I may have straightened it out a few times. If I did, thanks for following me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we pretty much kept. And you know the uh, the recording I learned that from is is uh, he only plays it through like twice, and it, mm. and so the variation right. is a little different. So I, I you know. If we played it wrong, we were right. And if we played it right, we were wrong. That's goddamn right. (laughs) (laughs) We're in charge of this folk tradition. Uh, So uh, I need to get to G real quick. Okay, you get to G. And I'll get my guitar out. So uh, you're also a bluesman. Blues man. (laughs) I guess uh, you could say that. You have the blues. I have the blues. And you express it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually guitar was except for like you know recorder in fourth grade, uh-huh. uh huh, and 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 a, and a brief uh, unsatisfying fling with the saxophone in fifth grade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, guitar was my first instrument. Yeah, and I uh, I I was I was I was drawn to to African American music way early on, partly because my parents were really active in the civil rights movement my dad was uh started out as a methodist minister and he the year i was born he quit the methodist church because um the bishop had called him up and reamed him out for having the vestry of a black methodist church over for dinner in in charlotte north carolina and so he became an episcopalian but we you know, our family went. Yeah, they're to, pretty good at yeah, about that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I, and you know, and then I was born in 1960. So, you know, when I was little, the, um, you know, right up through like 68, when of course Martin Luther King was killed, I have these these early. Some of my early memories of music are at those marches with people singing. Yeah. And you know, and it was you know a profoundly emotional experience for all kinds of reasons, but it also colored the way that I see music functioning in society you know it's not just entertainment yes it's it's much more profound than that and that that you know as i said that just had a big influence on me and and of course i've thought a lot about you know being being a white person playing black music it's uh it's something that i try to approach with a lot of respect because uh because you're borrowing yeah. it. I'm borrowing or, it. it or, or, or stealing yeah. it. <laughs> or, st- or stealing it or or just, you know, one of the ways I think about it is, you know, there's kind of two ways you can think about culture, right? You can either, either believe that people from vastly different cultures approaching each other with, with respect and, and, you know, good fellowship can come to understand profound things about yeah. each other. Yes. Or you don't believe that. Yeah. But if you don't believe that, that, you know, the road from there just leads to death camp. Yes. You know, that's that's kind of the only place that goes. Yeah. It's like you've got, you know, so... And But again, you know, it's got to be with a lot of respect and right. and, um, and reverence and, and care, you know. But I've been doing this for a long time, you know, so yeah. I, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's part of who I am yeah. in the way that I do it. Yes. And this is a, a piece uh, from a, a guy named Kid Bailey, who was uh, one of the people that, that Robert Johnson probably listened to or encountered when he was young, before he really yeah. got it. And the original recording is a guitar duet, so I've kind of taking pieces of both parts cool. and, and, and you'll play one one of those parts sort of on the banjo yeah. <laughs> and I don't think this is the actual name of this tune I think the the studio guy named it Rowdy Blues but uh, that's what it's called settle down I'm gonna stay right here till they tear this old barrel house down Well I love baby tell the world I do Well I love you baby 
world in this pouring world with you There ain't no use in weeping There ain't no need in crying Ain't no use in weeping Ain't no need in crying Honey, you got a home As long as I got mine That's like pre-Robert Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, a, a good diversion from our from our normal programming here. There you go. Cool. Very good. So on that note, when did you uh, when did you start playing fiddle, and how did you get into playing old time? Um, my dad played the fiddle when I was little, but he didn't play it much. Um. <laughs> And it was in the closet of his study, so I used to, you know, it's the the classic thing, right? I used to go and we weren't supposed to touch it. And Appalachian Suzuki. Yeah, Appalachian Suzuki, <laughs> yeah. And I would take it out and play with it and get in trouble. But uh, um, And then I got, you know, I got playing guitar and, and got interested in rock and roll yeah, in yeah. my teen years. Uh, but uh, at that point, we were living in Stanton, Virginia, and there was, there was, uh, there was, Fiddle music around, I you know I heard it. My dad was also a, a, a caller. He called Kentucky Running oh, cool. Sets, and he used to do that kind of. Again, you know, he was a, his job was a, a, he was a minister, but he would do it for church events. You know, in the in the social hall on, on Saturday nights. In fact, there was one. We spent one summer in uh, Mount Washington, Massachusetts, which was this little tiny town really at the end of a road in uh, way up in the Berkshires out out on the very western part of the state and it was uh, he he got a, a summer uh, basically a summer position there the the minister for the little church there was taking a sabbatical so we lived in this this farmhouse and it was like living in a Norman Rockwell painting I mean it, <laughs> there were 30 people that lived in that town year round and about a hundred in the summer there was a summer population and uh so, so you know, every Saturday night he would call a dance in the in the hall, and I don't remember a lot about the musicians that played at that, but but uh, 
there was you know there was music there and and I just remember you know I was in second grade and it was it was you know fun and people were you know I could go and run around and danced every now and then and then there'd be church in the morning and then in the afternoon this this guy had a baseball diamond laid out on one of his fields and and like half the town would show up for a picnic and play baseball all afternoon awesome (laughs) and and, uh so that was you know kind of an early thing and then uh when i was in college i i well actually when i was in high school i started playing bluegrass guitar and and uh, then i went to the deer creek fiddlers convention and saw some of the members of Double Decker String Band playing playing that. That was in Maryland. I was in, we spent my last years of high school in Maryland, and uh, and and saw people playing clawhammer banjo there for the first time to kind of recognize. Oh, that's different, you know, yeah. and, and, and really really cool. Um, but I was uh, at that point, I you know, I didn't really differentiate bluegrass from old time in my in my mind yet, and. Uh, I had a friend in, in high school who was a, a, a prodigy in all kinds of ways, but he was a, a, an incredible banjo player, bluegrass banjo player. And, and uh, when, when I went to college, we started a bluegrass band that uh, the second year that we had that band together, uh, Kevin Wimmer showed up at, at Wesley, and he's, he plays with Steve Riley and the Mamu Playboys now. A lot of people will recognize his name. He was, he's, he's an incredible fiddler. Um, but he showed up knowing pretty much everything that Vassar Clements had ever recorded. So we had a really good bluegrass band, but uh, my friend Amy Davis um, uh, had gone down to Augusta, and, and she showed up and, and played clawhammer banjo. So we started having these jam sessions, and, and then after I, after I went to Augusta, I, like, I wasn't that interested in playing bluegrass anymore. You yeah. Know? It was it, it, the whole... Was that the same one that where you met Ernie? Yeah. So like that's what cinched it. Right. Like, you that's had like it. these hints that right. you might be interested. And at that and yeah. at that point, I when I was home home for Christmas, even before I met Ernie, um, like the first year that that Amy showed up at Wesley, and um, I went home and got the got the fiddle and brought it back and started right on noodling with it. And then and I you know I could get around on it enough that I had to transcribe a bunch of, of tunes from Ernie and Melvin and, and Woody Simmons for for my thesis, and I yeah. could kind of figure you know. And I had one of those Morant Superscope tape decks, which you could run at double speed. It was the kind of state-of-the-art interview machine. It was a cassette deck, but oh, you could cool. run it at 30 inches per second uh, to get higher quality. And that's what journalists yeah. were using at the time, good microphones. So I did all my recordings on that. But then I could listen back to them at half speed yeah, because you could put it at the 15-inch per second thing. So I, I remember the first time I heard Ernie playing camp chase at half speed and and hearing how he would like climb up into the pitch and how consistent he was in the way that he did it it's like there's nothing nothing accidental going on here you know this is this is he's creating this music he's making those notes exactly a particular way and and uh but that half speed half speed thing helped me kind of you know get through the the early stages of figuring out what was going on but that yeah that was my kind of you know, going to college for for fiddle was was yeah. learning Ernie Carpenter and Melvin Wine tunes at half speed so that I could write them down. <laughs> right on. Yeah. When you wrote your like thesis, did you have to like? Was it just an overview, like, of of their playing styles, or was there some sort of like, um, uh, I guess, thesis like statement? Like, yeah, I was you know I mean? was comparing the way they were playing tunes and and also I was interested in in the stories they would tell with tunes. That was yeah. another component of it because it was you know ethnomusicology, so it wasn't pure like musical comparison. Yes. It was also like what you know how what what you know what, how how were they thinking about this and, yeah. and and you know what are they bringing to it and and yeah. uh, and and you know it, it, my one of my favorite things was I, I I had recordings of both. Ernie Carpenter playing Yupiney Mountain yeah, and Melvin yeah, yeah. Wine playing Yupiney Mountain. And they play it like Ernie, on the recording, Ernie says, now this is a slow-like tune, or at least it should be played slow-like. <laughs> and, and right before Melvin plays, he says, now some people play this too draggy. It needs to have some pep to it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, and it was it, their personalities in a nutshell, you know. Yeah. Like Melvin were really like, you know, he, he was, he was a, a lively, bouncy player. He was great. And, uh, and and a lot of a lot of kind of humor in his playing, you know. Yeah. 
but uh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um. So what are we gonna play next? Sleepy. Oh yeah, we're gonna play a Melvin Wine. Melvin Wine. Great. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this is this is one that I have on a cassette that I made at Melvin's house, and I've never heard any other recordings of it. Like nobody else. Then I've looked around for it. Yeah. You know, nobody else seems to have. Do people still play it? I, I don't hear other people play it. Yeah. Awesome. So, so we'll see. We'll see if, if maybe somebody will recognize it and tell me that I got the name wrong. Even I don't. Right. Know, right. But, but that's the name. Or I maybe have. this is the new source. Yeah. 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 Th that, yeah this is so th this is the tune that I have written down next to it. Sleepy Eye John is what he called it. Cool. But it's not the Sleepy Eye. There's a kind of a a Western swing sort of Sleepy Eye John. It's not that one. Great. <laughs> Sleepy Eye John. Sleepy Eye John. The uh, title doesn't quite fit the. Uh... No, and <laughs> I, 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 it might have words to it that go Sleepy Eye, Sleepy Eye John. You better put your britches on. Yeah, 
So it's like a morning person. Yeah. Is this is sort of the speaker in the tune. Right. <laughs> right. Get up. <laughs> Better put your britches on. That's really good. <laughs> so we got one more tune, but uh, before we play it, I just want to say like, thank you so much for all of your awesome tunes and uh, your awesome thoughts about the tunes. Uh, I love how much. Um, I guess thoughtfulness and intentionality like this music like encourages and uh, just like I don't know it's cool to get you get to know you musically and like our musical conversation and how that like um, leads to just all these other areas of life and I don't know it's really special yeah. so yeah thanks. Music, music is life right <laughs> yes yeah right on uh, so Jaybird died of the whooping cough. John Ashby, Jaybird died of the whooping cough. Or from the whooping cough? Is, did you say? <laughs> With, from, of, I don't yeah. know. Jaybird, death, and then uh, pertussis. Pertussis, <laughs> yes, very good. As Nick said earlier. Thanks so much, Craig. Thank yeah. you, Cameron. This has been this has been really fun. Thanks yeah, a lot. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's see. Here we go. Back, 
you want to hear more of Craig's music, I linked his website on the Get Up in the Cool blog, Facebook page, and this episode's description on whatever app you're using to listen to this. He's got links to YouTube and SoundCloud, as well as a contact form if you want to book him for a gig or take lessons from him. He teaches fiddle, guitar, mandolin, banjo, and button accordion, and he offers all that in person or in Skype. If you want to support Get Up in the Cool, go to CameronDeWitt.com and click the button that says Patreon. There you'll find the different levels at which you can support the show and their corresponding rewards, like on-air shoutouts, weekly bonus tracks, MP3 downloads, and monthly online banjo workshops. The next one is coming up pretty soon, so sign up now. I'm also currently accepting Skype banjo students, so hit me up if you're interested in learning to play more melodically and get more comfortable up the neck. If you want to host a live recording of Get Up in the Cool at your house show, let me know and we'll set something up. I also perform solo banjo and I have a pretty neat trio called The Old Reels that plays a mix of old time and original songs. And I'm always down to teach workshops before sets. Basically, my schedule is opening up now that festival season is slowing down and I need excuses to get out of Philly. So let's talk. Special thanks to Midwest Sing and Stomp for throwing such a rad party and inviting me to it. I had an awesome time. And y'all called my very first contra dance. I don't know how I avoided it for so long. All right, that's enough for now. Thanks for listening, friends. Come back same time next week for more Get Up in the Cool. <laughs>